Again, uh, thank you for letting me be here. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to uh, the Psalm, book of Psalms, to Psalm 67. We're going to read the whole thing. It's only seven verses, but Psalm 67. I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to please stand as we read from the living word of the living God. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, that you and your sovereignty and your providence have preserved it for us that you spoke, that it was recorded, and that we have it now. So we would pray for clear hearts and minds this morning, that your Spirit would come, that he would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds to understand and hearts to believe, that you would free us from any distractions that would help us from hearing your voice clearly and correctly. I do pray that I would be neither seen nor heard, but that your word would go forth as you intend. And that you would use it today to glorify yourself and to edify your people. So now, Lord, we pray, bless this time, bless your word. May it accomplish what you intend in us. May it renew our hearts, renew our minds, and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus. For in his name I pray. Amen. So, have a seat. A lot of power up here. Um, so, as we think about it this morning, I want us to think about missions. It's kind of uh, providential, I suppose. With, this would normally be your Penny Crusade uh, weekend. But I want us to think about missions. Um, there are right at 8 billion people in the world today. And um, only about two, a little over two billion of those folks are Christians. And that's uh, being generous and kind of with that designation. So that means about six billion people, or people or so in the, on the planet are not Christians. And that um, uh, of those six billion, there are three billion who are completely untouched by the gospel. They, who have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have any access to, to anything Christian at all. And so this is why missions matters. This is why foreign missions matters. As a denomination, we have a, a, a long for us, almost from our inception of missions. Interestingly enough, and, and Julia may be the only person here who knows this, but uh, the American Advent Mission Society actually did not begin as a foreign mission society. It actually began after the Civil War as missions to freed slaves in the South. That was actually the roots of the AAMS. So we, we have, a, have shown a deep commitment, however, to foreign missions for well over 100, 150 years now. And so as we think about missions today, as we look at Psalm 67, 
I want us to think differently about missions. I want to frame it differently for us this morning in a way that this text frames it for us. And really what our ultimate motivation is when we think about it. Now, uh, so I want to give you um, a, a, a definition of missions. This, is, this uh, psalm is actually called, uh, designated in a lot of places, Israel's Missionary Psalm. Because it really is, it has a missional focus to it and gives us a different ultimate motivation than what we might normally think of in terms of mission. So as we begin this morning, I want to suggest, based on this passage, a definition for missions. And I'll read it just a couple of times. So missions is the proclamation and pursuit of God's glory and supremacy over all things to all people in all places for his praise and for the blessings of the nations. So again, I'm going to read that one more time. Missions is the proclamation and pursuit of God's glory and supremacy over all things to all people in all places for his praise and for the blessings of the nations. I think we see this clearly in this text this morning. If we want to put it another way, and I don't mean to be shocking in this, but missions is not primarily about people. Missions is primarily about God, to put it more simply. And so our task in missions is ultimately to tell the whole world about the glory, the majesty, the supremacy, the power, the grace, the goodness, the justice, the holiness, in the love of God, because missions sees God as central. And we look at that and we see this in this text. We look in, in the beginning, we see this, this, this pro, a proclamation that leads to this pursuit of God's glory. Uh, verse 1, he says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That may sound familiar to you because it's a very... Um, it's a, a blessing that comes out of Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It's called the Aaronic blessing um, that Aaron blessed us over the people. The whole thing goes this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You've probably heard that. Well, this is a, a portion of that. It's very common in Israel. And notice what they said. So they say, Lord, uh, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face shine upon us. Why? Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. The, the psalmist here writes, Lord, bless us, not for our blessing, but that you would be known. That you would be known in the earth. That your way, that your power... So they were praying in such a way so not to wallow in the comfort of the blessing themselves, but in order that it, their blessing might pass from them to others. That the blessing of God as they would have it. We've got to remember Israel made some really audacious claims for its God about who he was and what he could do and what, he, what they claimed. And so you had people in foreign nations all around said, our gods are pretty good. You say your God's pretty good. You're going to have to prove it to us. And so the people of Israel, the psalmist here, prays, Lord, bless us, show your power among us so that all the nations might see and know who you are, might see and know your power. So that God's covenant love would be, for his people Israel would become clear amongst 
all the people and all the lands around them. Again, make to make his face shine upon them. That's for God to look upon his people with pleasure. Um, that they, he would look about them with grace. You know, we get to bask in God's glory not because we're good, not because we deserve it. Israel didn't get to, is, we get to bask in his glory because it is a gracious act of his love. You know, the grace is we get what we don't deserve. And God's blessing and God's favor is what we don't deserve. And so he comes in again in um, this verse 2. It's, uh, it's very common in Hebrew poetry. It's something called a parallelism. It's a way of, of saying the same thing uh, in two different ways. And so he says that your way may be known on the earth and that your saving power might be known among all the nations. Now this idea of knowing doesn't just mean that people are aware. It's not what the psalmist is praying for. He's not praying that, well, people will know about God. People will know about Yahweh. People will know about the, the, the Lord of the Jews. No, that's not what they're praying. That's not what the psalmist is praying for here. He's actually praying this idea of knowing, of a deep, intimate, personal knowledge and experience. Not that they would know about God, but that they would know and be known by God intimately and personally, experiencing his glory, his presence, his blessing in their lives. Jesus echoes this sentiment in the great high priestly prayer of John 17, John 17, 3, when he says this, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So clearly, the, this is the goal here that the world would know. And the reality is God is not currently known in most of the world. Again, three billion people haven't ever even heard the name of Jesus. And quite honestly, folks, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but you would be surprised how many of your neighbors and co-workers have not heard the name of Jesus. That they don't know the gospel. They don't know who he is. If they have heard the name of Jesus, it is as a swear word and nothing else. But this was true in Israel's time as well. In Israel, none of the, like, they were small comparatively to everybody else in the world. They knew the one true God, but nobody else did. And so this is a prayer that God would be praised among the people, among all people. Because there is no higher good, there is no greater calling for humanity than to know and to praise God for His glory and His majesty. That is what we were designed for. That is who we were. That's who Adam and Eve were until the corruption of the fall. We we're designed to be his image bearers, to reflect his glory to the world. And as a reminder to Israel that this is your job to be mirrors, to reflect God's glory as the moon reflects the light of the sun. As God's image bearers, Israel was to reflect God's glory to the nations. Now, this is the missionary calling of all God's people including us today. This is our missionary calling as well, to reflect God's glory and goodness to the rest of the world, to reflect and call peoples to proclaim His glory, His supremacy, His power among all things. This is our calling as well. John Stott has a, um, a quote about this. He says, It may be said without fear of contradiction, 
that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the church today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. If we look like everybody else, if the church looks like the world, the world's going to say, what are you people doing wasting your Sunday mornings? And why are you wasting all this time? So we, we look different because we reflect God's glory, His goodness, His greatness. And so the psalmist goes on here to give four proofs, four pieces of evidence for God's glory and His supremacy. The first thing he points out here in verse 2 is his salvation, the salvation that God brings. Um, again, that your saving power would be known among the nations. Now, for the Israelites, it was clear they had experienced this for, for hundreds of years at this point, that God would bless and keep them, that he would defeat their enemies. And so they lived in that. And ultimately, how God would deliver, they were trusting in that. They didn't know how. They couldn't see it, but they were trusting in it. You know, everybody in the Old Testament was saved in the exact same way we are saved, by faith alone. They weren't saved by good works. People often get that confused. They weren't saved by keeping the law. They were saved by trusting in God to save them by his grace and his power. Now, they didn't really know how that was going to work out, but they were trusting that. But now we do, we have the benefit of hindsight and we know that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his life, death and resurrection. We know that, we understand that so clearly. Um, and there, these are eternal blessings that can never ever be taken from us. Because of Jesus, we now know, know in an intimate, personal, real sense, the Father face to face. We went from being God's enemies to being God's children because of the gospel, because of the work that Jesus has done for us. And so he is now our heavenly father because of the sacrifice of our heavenly brother, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, who was in the beginning with God face to face. Now we have access to God the Father in that same way, face to face. So why does God save? God's primary reason for saving is for His glory. To bring glory to Himself, glory that He and He alone deserves. The highest good and the greatest calling of human beings is to glorify God. The second thing that the psalmist says here is he points to God's justice. He says that He judges the peoples with equity. Um, it basically is a reminder to us that God's judgments are sure and perfect and right and good. Everything that God does in his government of the world is good and right. We may not always see that. We may not always understand that. But we can trust in his character that he is good. And he will always do what is right. He will always do what is just. He is a good and always right ruler. Um, you may have noticed the world is not in the greatest of shape right now. And we look around and we, and we so often people will look to, to government to save and to, I am convinced that the best form of government in the history of the world is a benevolent dictatorship. And I'm going to tell you that will never happen in this world. 
But ultimately one day, that is what we will have. We will have a king who is supreme and perfectly good, who rules all things. When Jesus returns, that's what will happen. Why? Because he is just. And why does he rule with justice? He rules with justice. His justice is proclaimed for his glory. The psalmist next points to God's sovereignty. And this is a God who guides the nations upon the earth. The Lord is king. He is sovereign. He directs and controls the rising and falling of nations. Throughout history, there have been many great empires. And if Jesus tarries, there will be many more great empires. But they all bow to the king. They all bow to the one true sovereign God. And we would do well to remember this, that there is not one atom, there is not one molecule in all of creation that is outside of God's control. That, well, again, we might understand it, we might not it just doesn't make, may not even make any sense to us. But everything that is happening, God is perfectly in control and it is working perfectly to his perfect and good and right plan. The, the proverb, proverb says that the hearts of kings are in his hands. And when we look around the world today, we look at, at people like Vladimir Putin or King Jong-il and we think, well, where's God in that? I don't know, but he's in control. He is in control of them, ultimately. And that's what the psalmist is getting at. He is sovereign. He guides the nations. He is, our hope is in our great king, our great eternal king, our great heavenly king, not in an earthly king. And so why does God guide the nations? He does it for his glory. And finally, in verse 6, he says, The earth has yielded its increase the earth has yielded its increase. The psalmist here points to God's provision. He moves the earth to yield its crops for people. I don't, uh, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, I know some of what you do, and you all look like very smart, accomplished people. Um, but I want you to understand one thing. Everything you have in your life, and I'm not saying you haven't worked hard. I'm not saying you're not gifted. But even the very gifts you have are a gift from God. It is His providence that provides for you. Your ability to get up and go to work on Tuesday is God's gift to you. Your ability to reason and function, whatever your job is, that is a gift from God. And so everything that we have, the, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the homes we live in, everything else is given to us by the gracious and benevolent providence of our God. We must never forget that. There's a lot of comfort in that too, because you understand that ultimately you don't even provide for yourself. The Lord provides for you. And why does God provide? He provides for His own glory. Again, this is what the psalmist, this common theme there's something interesting here, something that doesn't strike us as odd, but would have struck the hearers of this psalm as odd. Let all the peoples praise you to all people in all places. We can take this for granted. But, but for the Jewish people, they were God's chosen covenant people. And this would have been a bit shocking. Wait a minute. You mean these pagans, these foreigners, these people that are trying to kill us that you want them to hear? So this would have been a revolutionary concept that Israel's enemies, that God's enemies would have heard 
this good news about their great God. And so this was a prayer that God, that his glory might be displayed, that his name might be praised, not just among the Jews, but among all people in all places, because he is the God of all creation. And this, again, was a a call to God's people to pursue this great and glorious goal. Guys, we've got to understand this is, this is so important. I think it's so central, not just to understanding the psalm, not just to understanding the Bible, but to understanding life, is that God is the highest good there is. He is the greatest beauty. He is the most important anything or anyone in all of existence. He is supremely glorious and better than anything else imaginable. We live in a very human-centric world. We live very human-centered lives. But we are not the center of the universe. God is the center of all things. And we cannot forget that. Because if we get that wrong, everything else is going to be wrong that follows. Life, your life, my life, the creation, everything that's going on in the world, it is ultimately not about us. It is ultimately about God. Because he is central. And so if we truly care about his glory, if we truly care that his name is exalted, then we cannot help but give ourselves to this missionary endeavor. We cannot help but tell people about this good and great God who has saved us. Again, we know that 6 billion people, and and that's a conservative estimate, I think, 6 billion people in the world today are lost. Again, further, we know there are 3 billion people in the world who have no access to the gospel, no access to the truth of God's word, no access to the truth of God's glory. They have no churches, no Bibles, no Christian literature, no Christian radio, no Christian television, no Christian internet. They have no Christian witness at all. And in those places, God is not glorified. His supremacy is not recognized by more than six billion people, half of which don't even know he exists at all. And this is a great prayer that the psalmist puts forth here, a prayer that we will that will, we know. And here's the thing about the missionary task. Here's the thing about this prayer that I want you to understand today. This prayer will be answered. It is guaranteed because God is sovereign. Let's let's look forward to see the day, the culmination, when this prayer comes to fruition and it is delivered on Revelation 7 to 9. Listen to the words of John. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Go back to that. From every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, this prayer will be answered. The missionary task will not fall flat. It will be successful. That There will be people in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And this is the prayer that goes back is all the way to Israel. Ultimately, this is all for God's praise. Um, of course, the, song, the Psalter is a songbook. Um, 
and uh, Julia did a great job leading this morning, and you all did a great job of singing, but for a long time, this was the church's songbook. This is what the church sang, and, and, and if this was a song, then there is a chorus. You'll notice this phrase that repeats in there, let the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you. And this is the end goal of missions, that God might be praised, that he might be worshipped for God, for he alone is worthy of worship and praise. We know Jesus said in John 4, 24, that God is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want to, again, today, I want to reframe the missionary task for us today, because so often it is about seeing people be saved and not lost. And that is important. And I don't want to diminish that in any bit. But missions is not God, is not man-centered primarily. It is God-centered primarily. God is central to the missionary task. If we truly love him and we love our neighbor, then we can perceive of no greater good than God being glorified and proclaimed and, and praised by every person on the planet. We want to see God praised. That is what we want. And yet we, nearly three quarters of the world denies God his praise. Three out of every four people give their praise to false gods and to idols. That is the world we live in today. God exists to be worshipped and man instead worships the work of his own hands. And so it is the goal of the missionary to move people from being idolaters to being worshippers of the one true God. For all people in all places to sing God's praise for all times in the new heavens and the new earth. And ultimately what this will bring is, is we get blessing from that. It is the ultimate and greatest blessing we can get. Uh, just as God blessed his covenant people Israel, he will bless his people. Ephesians 1.7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is the blessing. This is what we have. God's glory. When we glorify God, when we praise God, when we worship him, it blesses us. But when we deny God his glory, when our neighbors, when people in the world deny God his glory, his worship and his praise, it hurts us. We are not blessed by that. So we can rejoice in that because there is no greater blessing. There is no greater good for any person than to trust and believe in Christ. And, by, and because of that, have God's face shine upon them. John Piper has a, a helpful quote about this. You may be familiar with it. He, Piper writes this, he, that missions exist because worship doesn't. I'm going to read just that sentence again. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Missions is a limited time opportunity, just like any kind of evangelism. I've had the privilege of visiting a number of places in the world where God's glorious riches in Christ are being proclaimed. By faithful men and women, I have seen great courage and commitment and sacrifice to people dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's glory and supremacy. But I'm going to tell you, I've also seen much darkness and idolatry. Um, in Myanmar, 
this big temple mount in Yangon, that I have seen hundreds of people, men, women, and children, giving drinks of cold water, money, and food to dead, lifeless idols of Buddha. I have seen men and women worship and ornate and elaborate temples for grotesque and cartoonish gods in India. I've seen entire tribes of people bound in captivity to animism and malevolent spirits in Africa. And I've met children who, were it not for a Christian pastor, would have been murdered as a sacrifice to Hindu gods in India. God is not proclaimed. He is not known. His glory is not recognized. He is not worshipped in most, most of the world. Every year, approximately 55.3 million people die. That's 151,600 people each day, 6,316 each hour, and two each second. So on average, in the last five seconds, 10 people just died. It's 10 image bearers of God, 10 people who were designed for His glory, for His worship, and designed for fellowship of them, with Him. And we know that at least seven of them didn't know Christ, doesn't glorify God, didn't glorify God, didn't worship Him as God, that His name was not known, that His praise was not praised among these people. Carl Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The situation is desperate, folks. The need is the most urgent imaginable. And again, there will be a time when this missionary task is complete. Jesus will return and it will be over. But the time is not yet. God is still denied His glory among most of the people in most of the places of the earth. He is not praised and the nations are not being blessed because of it. And so as we come this morning, I want you to think about that. I just want us to... to meditate on that and consider this that this is God's calling for all of us this missionary psalm to bless the nations with the good news of the gospel the good news of our great God that they too might glorify him now we are all we can't all go I understand that right? most of us can't go um, but you know there are there are things you can do you can pray you can pray for those who are on the mission field. You can pray for people where there are no mission fields, that God would send laborers into those places, those darkest and hardest of places. You can give. You can send. You know, who in this congregation might be God calling to be a proclaimer of his glory to the nations? And then you can go. Don't underestimate it. Don't think you're too old or too young or too unskilled. You can go if God equips and calls. Because all people in all places, we want to see everybody in the world give God the praise that he deserves. Because he is ultimate. So may God bless us, his people, in this endeavor. That we, might, that we might pray, that we might give, that we might send, and that we might go. That the glory of God and His praise would be among all people in all places. Let's pray. Father, we come today 
humbly and really in awe of your goodness to us, your grace and your mercy. What are we that you are mindful of us? What are we that you care for us as you do? Lord, we understand so clearly and we pray that you would root this truth deep in our hearts, that you are central, that you are the center of all things, that you are the glory and the goodness and the purpose of all things. May we never forget that and, and, and forgive us when we get the order wrong. So may you be supreme in our hearts and our minds and our lives. And may you work in us, may you work in this church that the proclamation that you might bless them that others might see and know you through that blessing. That you would bless that they might pass on your blessing. That you would work in and through that uh, the people in this neighborhood, in this community would hear the gospel and that they would be changed and transformed by the gospel for your glory. But also that you would use this church to pray and to, to give, to send, and even to go. Uh, that people, maybe even in the hardest and darkest of places, might hear the name of Jesus. Might hear of our great sovereign God. And might give you the praise and honor you and you alone so richly deserve. Work now this truth deep into our hearts. Change us by it. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.